And so we're going to talk this morning about as in the days of Noah. We're going to be in chapter 24, starting out, and then ending up in Genesis uh, chapter 6 and a little bit into chapter 7. Does anybody remember the old Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire? It's kind of a snappy little tune, turned out to be one of the most popular videos of all time. And in that, he talked about several historical events that occurred in his lifetime. And the last stanza that he said, um, he just, he's just rapid fire listing off all these things. And he says, real fortune, Sally Ride, heavy metal suicide, foreign debts, homeless vets, AIDS, crack, Bernie gets, hypodermics on the shore, China's under martial law, rock and roll and cola wars, I can't take it anymore. Do you remember that song? But he, said, he ends it with, he said, we didn't start the fire, and when we're gone, it will still burn on and on and on and on, and it goes into, it fades out, and it's him saying on and on. Well, Billy Joe was right about all these historical things that happened, but he was wrong in the last line in saying that all this is going to go on and on. The Bible very explicitly tells us that sooner or later the sin of the world is going to reach a breaking point, which God's wrath will fall just like it did in the days of Noah. When, and then Jesus is going to come and set things right. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So turn to chapter 24, or Matthew 24, and we're going to get into that. The scene is Jesus and his disciples are walking around Jerusalem, and they look up at the Temple Mount. Now, when we say they're looking up at the Temple Mount, you have to remember this temple was probably the most expensive building on the planet. It was plated in gold. So if you've ever been over, if you've ever been way south or overseas in a desert, and you have something that is shiny under the noon Mideastern sun, or Middle Eastern sun, you know how bright that sun is and how bad reflections can blind you when you see them. So they're looking at this temple, this gold-plated temple, shining like a giant light on a hill. And they're just marveling at it. you got to remember, these are just country boys. These aren't city boys. They're not used to seeing big, ornate buildings like this. They're, they're pointing out all these kind of different things that Jesus, you know, Jesus, look how, how cool this building is. Or look how tall that tower is. Or look how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus decides to, to switch their gaze up, um, from staring so much and appreciating so much the things of this world and point out that all the things they're looking at, all the things they're marveling at right now are not always going to be there. In fact, he said of the temple that it will be torn down till not one stone will be laid upon another. So Jesus switches from that and tells him some very specific events that will happen in the near future. In their future, at 70 AD, that did indeed happen. The Roman general Titus wiped out Jerusalem. His orders were that his soldiers were literally supposed to tear down every building until not one brick was left upon another. You just imagine that as a group of soldiers just having to tear apart a building that specifically until not one stone is let upon another. That was how this prophecy was fulfilled in his time. But then he also points forward to a future time, specifically when he talks 
um, earlier than what we're going to be looking at, but he talks about the, the fig tree blossoming, about Israel coming back to be a nation. So this is the future that we are living in right now. And he's going to get specific about the time before he returns. In Matthew 24, verse 36, he said, No one, this is Jesus, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and another left. Therefore... Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have also kept watch and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. So you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let us pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that we are able to take these events that were spoken about 2,000 years ago, referring to events spoken 2,500 years before even that. Help us to understand that time and how it mirrors our time today and how we can recognize that and use it to live lives that bring glory to you and are useful to you during this time. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, the verse that really struck out at me this week as I was preparing was that line, as such as in the days of Noah. And so I was asking myself, well, what does that mean? What was happening in the days of Noah that was so specific that Christ re um, included it in some of his final instructions to his disciples that he pointed them at that um, far away? I mean, it was as far away from him the flood was as far away from him as Jesus is from us today. So why was he pointing them back over 2,000 years in the past to talk about something that was 2,000 years in his future? So what secret does that scripture have to tell us of the kind of world we're going to be living in at Christ's returns? So flip over to Genesis chapter 6 and 7. And we're going to look at some of the, a few of the signs that we're going to see. When it comes to the days of Noah, there are three principles I want to point out about it that we're going to see right away that Jesus refers to here. And the first one is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Genesis 6.11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, and all the peoples on earth had corrupted their ways. Now what word do you see repeated here in various forms? The word corrupt. And as I do with almost every sermon, 
I go back and I read what the original text tells us. I go back to the original languages. And I looked up the Hebrew word for corrupt, and this is what I found. The Hebrew word shakath means to allow what was once good and right to spoil. In other words, you're taking something that was perfect and allowing it to slide into corruption. And the corruption they're talking about here is one of neglect. For example, if you go home today and you pull out a carton of milk out of the refrigerator, pour yourself a glass, drink it, it's great. It's refreshing. It's good. It's going to, to make you healthy and strong. But if you leave that same carton of milk outside on the patio in July for a two weeks, and then you go and open that container again, what's going to happen? Cottage You're going to have cottage cheese, and it's not going to smell very good, is it? It'll probably make you almost want to vomit. So how could something certified, even by the FDA, as something that is pure, just cause sickness and death in under a week or two? Because it was neglected. What, shows, what this shows us is our first principle of the day of Noah. That the once godly people on earth neglected to keep themselves pure. In the language of Jesus, in Revelation chapter 4, he talked to the church of Laodicea. He told them that he had this one thing against them, that they had become lukewarm. They had mixed the fire of God, the passion for God, following God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, with the water of the world. It was like they took a, a water tower and poured it over the top of a grill and just wiped out all that, that fire of God. And, it be, and they became this disgusting, corrupt, and frankly speaking, they were a stench in the nose of God, just like that milk that is left out in the July sun. Now Isaiah lived in a very similar time. In his day, people were doing the right thing. They were doing the right thing. They were going through all the motions correctly that God prescribed in the law, but they did it with the wrong motivation. And they also mixed in a lot of pagan practices with their right religion. going through the motions while looking at the clock so they could get back to their sinful and rebellious lives. Now keep in mind that people at this age, they worship God through animal sacrifice. This is what God had prescribed for them. This is what God told them to do then. And this is how God expected them to act during this time. Yet this is what God had to say about them doing what he told them to do. This is God talking through Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you of, to do this? What is this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. The new moon Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. That is why one of the first things we see in the days of Noah is a fallen church. 
Even Paul prophesied about this when he said that the man of sin, the Antichrist, cannot rise until the apostasy comes, until those who are once of the faith fall away. And that is what brings judgment faster than anything those outside these walls can do. When God's people turn what is supposed to be a loving relationship with him into an external form of religion that at the end really denies God. It means you're here for you and not him. That's the first principle. The second principle of the days of Noah is found in Genesis 6.3. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Focus with me for a moment on that word contend. If you have the KGV open right now, that word is strive. The Hebrew word for there is deen, and it means judgment. If you were to paraphrase this a little bit better, it would read, my spirit will not forever restrain judgment, but eventually my forbearance and my mercy will come to an end, and that will be in 120 years. That is our huge timestamp in the book of Genesis. From the time God said these words to Noah, the clock started toward judgment. And what drew that judgment? Lukewarm people, the first principle. Those who fail to allow the Spirit of God to exist on the inside of them. You know, God just doesn't want to exist in this building. This is the temple he has always wanted. This is the temple that he desires. This is the temple he went to the cross to win. If you look at Genesis 3, 6, 3 again, it said that God says his spirit will not contend with man. Something very, very tragic happened in the beginning of Genesis. During the time of Cain and Abel, as you know, Cain killed his brother Abel. God drives Cain away from Seth and the rest of the, the family of God with his wives at the time. Drives them far away and says, you guys go be corrupt over here. I want to protect these people here. Sooner or later, they met up again. And the corrupt line of Cain ended up um, corrupting the godly line of Seth. And this is what started to bring God's judgment. And with the exception of Noah and his family, all of Seth's family line, who were of the God-fearing and believing people, fell into that corruption. And the image of God in humanity was ruined and now existed in mockery to him. This is why God destroyed the world. This is foundation to get to this next point. Do you know what the fastest growing religion is in America right now? It's not Christianity. It's the nuns. I was like, what the heck is the nuns? These are people who say I'm spiritual, but I'm not going to subscribe to any religion. I just check none. I'll just believe it the way I want to believe. Fastest growing religion, if you will. The second is Islam. And the third fastest growing is witchcraft. I thought that was very interesting. What it means for us is that the spiritual line that America started with 
has corrupted itself with pagan religion, spiritual experiences, and now the image of God that he set in our country is stained and it's spoiled and it's corrupted. As the hymn says, God's image now effaced. And that is why Jesus' best friend on this earth, Simon Peter, reminds us, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, before you think this is going to be all bad news this morning, it's not. Yes, judgment sooner or later will come. The Bible says it's going to. And you may say, well, when's it going to happen? We've been hearing this for years. Well, Peter also addresses that. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3, he says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Since our fathers died, everything goes on as it did since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heaven existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also was the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the, heaven, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but as some understand slowness, he is patient with you. Thank you, Jesus. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that brings us to the third principle of the day of Noah, is that there is still hope. There is hope that we can escape the judgment that is going to come on the earth, a judgment that over the last year or two we've studied in the book of Revelation. God has given us an ark for the flood that is coming for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. You know, the whole story of Noah and the ark is one of the Bible's earliest and most clear example of God's love for his people. And that he will always give us a way to escape the consequences of sin. Look at Genesis 6.14. He said, God's telling Noah, he said, So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And you might think, well, John, there's not any really great spiritual revelation there. I mean, he's just given Noah some building instructions. And when you read about it in the English, you're right. But again, when you look back to the original languages, God's giving us a hint to the coming Savior. The word for pitch used here is kafar, English word, which comes the English word cover. The primary word of kafar in the Hebrew is atone or atonement. In other words, God's ark for us today is found in the atonement seen in Jesus' life and sacrificial death for us. That Jesus went and took upon himself 
the punishment that we deserved and paid that price to God so that we can come into heaven someday. And that is good news. That tells us that Jesus is our ark during these troubled times. Jesus is our refuge when everything else grows dark. Jesus is our source of strength when the entire enemy's army comes against us. Jesus is our light and our refuge when everything seems to get darker. And Jesus is our only hope when that fire of judgment comes. He took that judgment on himself, so the fire never touches us. As Corinthians says, For God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, so that we may have that righteousness of God. And since Jesus himself told us in the beginning of this message, we're living in the days of Noah, I ask you this morning, is he your ark today? Is he the refuge you run to when times get tough? Is Jesus your one and only hope you're going to have before God when you're judged for the deeds done while in the body? And if you haven't trusted him as your Lord, God, Savior, and King, I point you to one more verse this morning. The most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So I ask you this morning, does verse 20 describe you? Are you afraid to come into the light because you're afraid of evil deeds being made public? Are you afraid to come into the light because you love them more than you love God? God takes no pleasure in the death of those in rebellion to him. He's given you a way out to turn from your darkness and into the wonderful light of Jesus Christ. A light that can only be found by accepting him as your Lord, God, Savior, and King and asking his forgiveness. So Lord God, as we stand now in the days of Noah, Help us to seek the ark that we know is Jesus Christ. Help us to fall down before him. It seems the, the theme of this, this Sunday morning has been about brokenness. Help us to allow ourselves to be broken through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Fall at your feet and say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me. 
Make me righteous in God's sight. And let me follow you the rest of my days.